0: Welcome to episode five of the Work Fuel podcast. I'm Colette Hennigan, I'm a nutrition and performance coach, I'm your host, and I'm the co-author of the book work Fuel. The book came about as I wanted to distill many years of my experience in coaching thousands of people at work about how to create a more balanced, healthier life. I wanted it to be an easy read, relevant, and really practical. This podcast is now my chance to share some of the more personal stories from this coaching journey. Hearing from real life business professionals that are out there making a positive difference to their own well-being and the people around them. So rather than hearing from some more health experts or doctors or athletes, this podcast is about true living proof of what taking care of yourself looks like in the real world of work. So No matter how challenging our lives, our work, our social schedules or to-do lists are, we all owe it to ourselves to invest in our personal well-being. And sometimes I know from experience that the challenge is just knowing where to start. So in this episode, we will be hearing from a business founder who has designed her working day to play to her personal style and way of working. She's now managing a successful business that she loves So stay tuned to hear how she stepped off the treadmill of working within an organization where she felt blocked and unfulfilled and hear about the steps that she took to take that big leap of faith into the more uncertain world of working for yourself. Today, I'm excited to have Lucy Gower as a guest on this episode. Lucy is the owner and founder of an innovative small consultancy called Lucidity. It helps individuals and organizations think differently, be more creative, and therefore get better results. She also runs a network that helps people take charge of their professional development called the Lucidity Network, and it is based in London. Lucy is also an avid scuba diver, has a lovely dog, Gary. She loves eating out and spending time with her family, and also karaoke. So I'm interested to learn more about that, Lucy. So... Lucy, welcome to the Workfield Podcast and thank you for being here. Uh, It's such a pleasure to have you.
1: Thank you ever so much for inviting me. I'm excited to be here. Well, let's get into it. So, I am
0: sure I haven't explained Lucidity and also your network fully. So, could you please expand a little for us so we we understand more about your role now?
1: Sure. So, I set up Lucidity back in 2012 when I left uh, full time, proper day job and my, my day job at the time was a innovation manager for a big children's charity. And I found that what I was doing with my job was almost being an internal consultant, running training, providing coaching, mentoring and internal consultancy to help people think differently, be more creative and get better results. And I found that I was a bit of a, I felt like a small cog in a really big machine. And I thought, if I left, work with lots of different organizations and might be able to make more of a difference so that's exactly what lucidity does coaching training and consultancy helping people think differently be creative and be confident and courageous enough to do something with those creative ideas in order that they get better results
0: Great, sounds brilliant. I'm going to ask you for some examples of how we can all do that in a moment, but before i do i'd I'd really like to know a little bit more about that that first career. so working within that kind of charity environment.
1: Can you tell us a little bit about that? Sure, so I was a fundraiser for many years in a range of different charitable organizations from really small charities where I was doing all types of fundraising to working for a big children's charity where I specialised in corporate fundraising and events fundraising. And like most fundraisers, I fell into the role. I trained as a textile designer and I worked in textile design for a while Uh before being made redundant. And then friend of a friend, because everything happens through who you know, and was a director at a charity and they needed somebody to do some admin. I had rent to pay, so I came and worked for them. And then they started giving me fundraising applications and I started to bring money in and I thought, wow, this is good. Perhaps I can do this. Perhaps this is a bit of a more of a meaningful job than designing handbags. Now I just buy handbags rather than (laughs) having them. Um, So I loved working in the charity sector and for Lucidity, most of my clients are not-for-profit clients. And I think that you are surrounded by really passionate people that are working really hard to make a difference often on very stretched budgets and nobody in my experience works for the charity sector because they take home a massive great big fat paycheck people work for that sector because they're passionate about making a difference
0: Mm -hmm. yeah i tend to agree with everyone that i know that works in that sector too so so why why did you leave i mean obviously now you're you're heading up this successful business outside of the sector but still helping those people that are inside
1: why did you take that leap? So I felt like a really small cog in a really big machine and I just felt that I wasn't making enough impact and I thought that if I left I could work with a range of different organizations and I might be able to make more of a difference Uh, I was working for an organization that was big and bureaucratic in its outlook and 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 how it worked and I I just got to the point where I felt I was coming into work every day I felt like I was on a bit of a treadmill I didn't really feel that I was making enough of a difference and so Mm -hmm. one day after a lot of thought and preparation and planning I I jumped you jumped yeah and and I think
0: today we find a lot of people in that similar predicament where, you know, they're looking for that, for that next thing, you know, something that different to what they're doing now. So uh, it'd be really useful just to hear about what was the kind of preparation that you put into before making that jump. And then what I'm really interested in is actually on the jump day, what you did. So if we just start with like the preparations, how did you know um, uh, how to set that up? It's Cause you did go through uh, a series of, of uh kind of ideas that you brought to to light you know so you could make more of not a seamless jump because I don't
1: think any of them are seamless no. but, sure. but to have something to start with yeah I had this sort of inkling that perhaps I could go and run my own business do my own thing and so about 18 months before I finally jumped I started to turn up at every single networking event that I possibly could go to. I just started to really build my networks. I started to think about what it was I wanted to be known for. And when I got the job of heading up an innovation team, that's when I went, oh, here's here's my thing, helping people to think differently and to be more creative. So I started to pitch to speak at conferences. I started to write blogs. I started to do odd bits of consultancy and training as a side hustle to test out whether I was any good at delivering stuff on my own and um, whether I had the confidence to be able to do it. So that was about 18 months of building networks and, and blogging and talking at conferences, which was exhausting because I was taking holidays for, to go and run training courses and to go and speak. To
0: go and work more. Yeah. So, so let me just go through that because I think that's really, really helpful what you just mentioned. So 18 months before you decided that you wanted to do something different, you felt that you could work for yourself. And so one you know the first thing was you said that you turned up at every networking event you could get an invite to and get get to yeah. um decided what you wanted to be known for and just started to to use those those uh, that identity i guess um and then you just started to pitch just throwing your your name into into the ring for speaking events and training yeah that's exactly brilliant. it brilliant
1: And it was terrifying because you feel like you're a fraud most of the time. And especially when people say, oh, but don't you have a day job? And you're like, yeah, but I'm just on holiday today. So I thought I'd come and train your team in creativity and innovation, Um, which did feel like a bit sad at some point. You know, like, why am I spending my holidays training teams? But I was so focused on wanting to make that work. I felt I had to give it 100% for a certain amount of time in order to be able to make a decision about whether I could do it or whether I wanted to do it or not. And I think the only way, for me anyway, the best way for me to work out whether leaving a full-time secure day job to go and do my own thing might be something that would would work, would be to go and deliver some of the stuff that I wanted to deliver on my own and and see what feedback I got um, and see if I felt that it was something that I would enjoy doing, which it was.
0: Yeah. uh, Yeah. I mean, I think it's a great model to, to, to use because it is a, it's like that bit of a safety net because you've tested it out. I mean, obviously you, 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 you tried some of this stuff and you went out and delivered the training and thought, no, I'm even to the point where you're willing to do it in your holidays, uh, rather than be on a beach somewhere with a cocktail. Yeah. So, um, it's a commitment, isn't
1: it? It is a commitment. As I'm there in this dark conference room, thinking, "Oh, could be on a beach, drinking a <laughs> cocktail right now." It was, yeah, it, it, it was. It was very difficult juggling, t- essentially juggling two jobs. I was getting up at five in the morning, writing blogs, going to work, and it got to the point where it wasn't going to be sustainable any longer. I had to make a decision: mm-hmm. i was either going to leave and give it a go, or I was going to decide that having a full-time job was the right career choice for me.
0: And, and did you have, you know, just before the jump day, did you have something in the pipeline? Because obviously a lot of people dream about potentially doing something, working for themselves or um, swapping industries or something along those lines. But often it's like the, you know, the economics of it, not having enough money to continue. Yeah. So did you have that? That bit well, at least a little bit in the in the pipeline.
1: Yes. I think you're never gonna have enough money to jump from a day job Mm -hmm. if you start to really think about it. Yeah. And I decided that if I had three months buffer, that if nobody employed me for three months, I'd still be able to pay my mortgage, then that was going to be good enough. If I was waiting for like a buffer of a year, I'd still be in the I'd still be in the day job. Mm -hmm. So that those side hustle bits of consultancy and training I was doing I was getting paid for and I was putting that straight into the when I leave fund in order Mm -hmm. I had something to fall back on if it didn't all work out
0: yeah and I think this is the realities as well of it you know like so we hear a lot uh, and we see a lot of these books of like following your dream but if it is truly your dream and your passion it also takes graft and I think that sometimes gets missed in this kind of headline uh, you know so you were doing those things you were working doing extra work on top you were up early and uh and yeah so in order to build your dream it's actually work and investment from you and I know that because I've done something similar myself that uh you know it doesn't just land in your lap and then you go oh I've got this nice little business that I can now run you have to work at it you do and
1: people say oh wow you know your business looks like it's doing really well and I'm really delighted with you know, the work that I'm doing. I've got some amazing clients that I'm working with, and I'm enjoying what I'm doing. And I was talking to a colleague recently, and we were reflecting on how actually you're like a duck. So on top of the water, you look like you're flowing along, and underneath, your legs are paddling really, really fast. It's still really hard graft, and you—it's—it's it's kind of relentless. You just have to keep—you have to keep going.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, I often do a definition between, you know, when you're working for something that you're, where you have some autonomy, where you can make the decisions, where you really believe in the product or the service or, you know, what it is that you're delivering, then there's working hard and there's hard work. Yeah. And often when you're kind of not aligned to the goals, that's really, really hard work. And that's where we start to feel this kind of inherent stress. Um, You know, we really resent the stuff that we're doing and and those kind of things whereas hard work is you know part of life fulfillment because the people that live the longest in the world and the people that have the most fulfilled lives they don't sit on the couch all day they they're out there making a difference following their passion
1: and um, hard work comes with that That's so right i think you summed that up so well because one of the things about feeling like a small cog in a big machine was that i didn't feel like i was i didn't have enough autonomy i didn't feel like i was making decisions and doing my best work And whilst I work as hard now, if not harder than when I had a nine to five job, it's my choice and I'm choosing when and where I show up and I'm doing it because I enjoy it and I'm making the decisions. And that feels very, very different to being part of a big organisation or part of a a hierarchy where you're one of the, for me anyway, where you're one of the smaller cogs and you can't really see where the difference is is what what are the differences is that you're making mm,
0: yeah massively and 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 I just want to pick up on that point that you just made there actually about the autonomy and I know when when we chatted, you've mentioned that one of the things that you love now is not actually having a routine, and you know we assume that everybody wants like this routine, but I'm the same as you I'm very happy with each day being a different kind of challenge, a different a set of um deliverables, perhaps being in a different place, that kind of thing. So tell us a little bit about your non-routine routine. routine.
1: (laughs) Your non-routine routine. Yeah, I love not having, I absolutely love not having a routine. I love being able to get up when I want to. I mean, I'm an early in the morning person, so I'm normally up. Early. But for me, the thing around not having a routine is that you can do your best work when you're feeling at your best. So for me, first thing in the morning is when I work much quicker. Somehow my brain feels more like it's more connected. I can do the difficult stuff really early in the morning. By about three o'clock, I'm done. So that's the point where I can go and do something else. I'll go and walk the dog. I'll go and do something that doesn't need quite the same level of brain power. But when you're working mm. in an organization and the hours are nine to five, it's a bit of a problem if you do your best work at 6am. So mm. I feel like I get more done because I don't have a routine, because I can choose and I am pretty disciplined about how I'm working. And if I have a day where I just think, do you know what? The sun's shining. I've made all my deadlines. I don't have to spend all day sat at my desk doing work. I'll go out and do something completely different and I'll make the most of it. Might mean I have to work a Saturday afternoon instead to catch up, but that's my choice. And that's the thing for me that is so important about the lifestyle that I've chosen by doing my own job.
0: Yeah. And I think that's priceless, isn't it? You know, yeah. that to be able to have that flexibility. And I, I feel the same. You know, sometimes I have to work in the evenings. I'm more of a, an evening person. And just so you know, for people listening, I, I've got Lucy in the morning. So uh, <laughs> that's why I'm so upbeat and energetic. Um, but this, this is real. This, this, this cycle of one day, everyone's is slightly different and their work cycle is slightly different. Yet still we have this really old fashioned model in most organizations. Yes, there's flexi working now that we see. Uh, where people are allowed to to you know choose their hours a little bit more, but there's these core hours that still remain, and they're potentially working against anything between fifty and seventy percent of the workforce, because only a small percentage actually fit those hours. Yeah, and and it is crazy. And the work I do with teams is often getting managers to actually look at their team and understand their own the, the cycles of the people they're working with. Because as soon as you do, suddenly you can set the team meeting at a different time of day that's going to be good for everybody and not just good for the early birds or not just good for those midway people but you know you kind of um get more out of people when you understand a little bit about them because we are humans you know we are not
1: uh, robots that just have these set hours so yeah there's seasonal differences as well so in summer I get way more done. In winter when it gets dark here at, you know, four or four thirty, I'm not ready I'm ready to go to sleep at that point. I practically hibernate. So there's as well as on a twenty four hour cycle, there's a there's a seasonal cycle as well that mm-hmm. if you can be aware of that and if you are able to do something about it to flex to when you can do your best work, that's also gonna work in your favor as well.
0: Yeah, yeah. And I think that's important for people now actually, and anyone that's listening is knowing your own cycle. Yeah. And tooling up your day if you like you know so arming your day so you're playing to your advantages more so than not don't just accept meetings if it's a really complex complicated meeting at 8am if you don't come alive until after lunch and uh, and you know obviously we can't always be in charge of our full our full uh, agenda um so there's always going to be times where you just can't pick but when you can make a choice that benefits you and, and, and puts you in the best so you can do your best work. Ultimately, so, so so Lucy, tell me um, about this jump day because okay. it's quite an interesting story, which I really like. So this was leading up for a while. You know, you felt like you were on this treadmill. Yeah, you had your you had your plan. You wanted the autonomy. Um, you felt like you was being a bit blocked at work and frustrating. You know, you wasn't able to help the people you wanted to help. So you started this process eighteen months before that day so what happened on the day
1: so on the day so my manager was only in the office every couple of weeks and I had a one-to-one booked in so I decided on the day and I'd woken up in the morning and I was really anxious about it I'd woken up really early and the first thing whether this is Colette will tell me off for this wake up in the morning looked at twitter on my phone <laughs> and the main story of the day was that steve jobs had died and so my my twitter feed was completely full of quotes anecdotes stories condolences around steve jobs dying so then i turn on my laptop because i'm side hustling at the time checking you know if i've got any consultancy work come in and i've got a macbook and it's the on my screensaver it was the picture of Steve Jobs that came up then I turned on the tv and the stories about Steve Jobs so I had a little cry and I saw it as this signal that um Steve Jobs would want me to leave my job <laughs> so this is really important that I did go in and 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 do that today and the reason that I was going to leave on that particular day and have my notice in because all of the side hustling i had done and all the things to build my personal brand to be known for speaking about innovation and creativity and around fundraising, I got asked to go and speak at a fundraising conference on the Gold Coast in Australia in February. Amazing. And it was an amazing opportunity. And I had to think really hard about whether I was going to do it or not. So it was really hard to jump. And so it just felt that if I didn't say yes to that opportunity, then I needed to go, right, I'm just going to do a nine to five job. And that's fine and be happy with it. And it just felt that Steve Jobs' demise came on the particular day, and I felt like it was a bit of a signal that that's what I needed to do. Now, that might sound utterly ridiculous, but it's very emotional making a big choice about how you're going to change your life, which leaving a job and doing your own thing really is that. So, yeah, that's my my story. Yeah, (laughs) the the Steve Jobs was all the sign you needed, and it was kind
0: of that's it, that's the day. And look where we are now. seven years later yeah. and yeah and thriving in this yeah. this new career so brilliant story thank you and you know a lot of the uh podcasts that we've done so far we've focused on you know aspects of nutrition and um uh like personal points of self-care which are absolutely work fuel but i think what you've just described your own personal story is just as important to the you know the way we fuel ourselves at work, having the right inputs and stimulation and challenge—all of those things are just really uh, massively uh, part of our well-being. So this is great, and um, so thank you for sharing that. And I'm, I'm now interested in, in getting a little bit deeper on your well-being side of things. Now, know what's going on. So, um, given all of the uh, you know you, the, the jobs that you've described, now it it sounds like your job is it still has lots of different hats and uh, it sounds like you're doing it. Well, it sounds like you're doing a a lot of work um, just from our conversations. I know that you do start very early um, and those kind of things. So how do you ensure that you're well
1: for the work that you're doing now, Lucy? Yeah. What a great question. The first thing that I would think that I'll say is that it is difficult and there's a really big Mm. gap between knowing what I should be doing and actually doing it. So for me, I pick, things that I can turn into a habit. So I don't have a routine every day, but there are habits that I am building every day. So one of my things is to do my 10,000 steps. It's really important that I get out and I move. It can be really easy for me, sat behind a laptop for a whole day to not even like leave the building. So one of the things that I did is that I got a dog because if you've got a dog, you have to walk your dog every day and you have to get your steps in so that was my tactic if you like for making sure I get out every day
0: yeah and and Tell us, tell us your dog's name. He's called Gary. <laughs> I just love this. Um, actually, very coincidentally, my sister's dogs also called Gary. But yeah, it's, uh, yeah it was so unusual when, when you said that, and uh, I always loved the idea of being in the
1: park and shouting him. Yeah, um, it makes it makes people laugh. So there's a few things about. I mean, there's a few things about getting a dog. One, it, you have to get up every day, and you have to walk the dog. Also, there's something around being in the park shouting Gary makes people laugh, makes me laugh. And when I'm walking him, he's only a puppy, I've got to be 100% present watching what he's doing. So it means that I have to shut my brain off to everything else and all the stresses that are going on around, around my job. And that is really good for me. And I know that that's really good for my mental health and dogs are great i mean i've wanted a dog for 10 years so you know if you don't like dogs maybe this isn't very good advice however dogs are simple they make everything simple and they make me reflect on how human beings and myself included can really overcomplicate things so getting out and walking every day you know they only really care about getting out and walking running after a bull getting fed and having their tummy tickled they're not that different from humans maybe
0: (laughs) yeah and and this is you know something in my work and especially also in in my recent book we spoke about you know having accountability to somebody else or uh, you know something else like a dog it does really ingrain the habits and then that just becomes part of your life so 10,000 steps to you is just something that you do And when you see the headlines that was in the evening standard, you know, just last week that 70,000 Brits die each year due to inactivity and what they define as inactivity was sitting for more than six hours a day. And so when we think of the workplaces that both you and I work in and also our old lifestyles, I know for me for sure, that was just the norm, you know, and it was more than six hours. So this is like a real threat and it's... Uh, you know that really lovely nudge that you've got with having a dog yeah. just enables you to have that accountability meaning that's just what you do now and that's been going on for over a year hasn't it so, Over a year,
1: yeah and I think yeah. that if you don't like dogs you don't want to get a dog or it doesn't work for you the answer isn't get a dog the answer is find an accountability buddy where you maybe go and walk together even if you just go around the block at lunchtime it doesn't mm-hmm. matter what you do as long as you Start and as long as if you are one of those people that is sat for six hours a day, that you acknowledge that and you find someone to be accountable to, to, to help you to get out and take it in small little chunks. Okay. Don't have to go straight to ten thousand steps. Do a thousand steps for a bit and then build on that
0: yeah exactly you know none of this has to be like transformational at the start it will be eventually if you keep doing it but it just needs to start that's it um so so what else so what else do you do how do you start off your day
1: I start off my day by taking the dog out Mm -hmm. having a strong coffee (laughs) and I normally start my day the night before where I write a bit of a list of what are the things that I need to achieve the next day. And I tend to do a little bit of reflection on all the things that I've achieved and focusing on the good things to try and get me into a good mindset for the rest of the day. And I don't always do it, and that takes a bit of time sometimes. But the days that I do do it, I know that I feel better because it can be really easy to spend so much of the, your time when you work for yourself in your own head and not really appreciate how far that you've come
0: mm, yes absolutely and we're you know we seeing more of the signs behind uh stopping and reflection about how that actually builds better work and uh you know Really helps with our stress levels, yeah, and we, you know all these it has all of these kind of side benefits too um, of just you know that that reflection, just stopping and going, what actually have I achieved, yeah. and um, and and being grateful for that, I guess, and also acknowledging and recognizing your achievements because for me as an ex-sales person, um, and you know being an ex-sales professional, yeah. it was very much like that deal's done. What's the next one? Yeah. And you'd move on uh, because there was always new business to, to kind of work on. Yeah. And, and now I do a lot more of, wow, what have I just done though? You know, what was last week? How did that look? And how's it made me feel? And using that to build the next week. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And great. Those little steps all add up. They do. Yeah, they do not up, that's for sure. So I said at the start, I'd be really interested in just getting um, a, a slice of the work that you do in terms of helping these individuals and businesses be more creative and innovative. So can you give me an example of how you would work with with somebody, with a client or in a mm-hmm. training course? Mm-hmm.
1: Sure, of course. So People will normally come to me and say things like, I'm stuck or my team is really creative, but we're just not able to get things moving. And the way that I tend to work with people is I try and uncover what some of the blockers and barriers are. But my biggest learning since being an independent consultant is that people learn by doing, not they don't learn by theory. So a lot of the work that I do involves role-playing, playing things out, so, for example, if we're thinking about creativity, um, mm-hmm. human beings don't necessarily embrace change and are excited about change. So, if you're doing anything that involves thinking differently, different processes, different ideas, you're going to have to get other people on board. Mm-hmm. And that can often be quite difficult. So, rather than we talk about why a particular person isn't that keen on your idea or the new process or the different thing, we Role play it, and we get the people that are trying to convince the other person to be the other person. And I call it a penny drop moment where, because you're experiencing something and you're trying to get into somebody else's shoes, you can have empathy that you don't have from sitting back and looking at something more rationally. And that can be mm-hmm. a game changer for getting people on board, understanding where other people are coming from, and being able to flex your style in order to be able to communicate with them in a way that lights them up rather than closes them down. So a lot of the work I do uh, is, especially in training, when I'm training in teams, it's people doing stuff, not me stood at the front with a PowerPoint presentation talking about theory. The only way I really see those penny drop moments is when people experience something and they light up and then I know that they're going to go and do something different.
0: Yeah that's super super valuable. Yeah putting yourself in the other people's shoes that you're trying to influence or um there's maybe your blocker at work or anything like that. Yeah. Uh that's really priceless I guess as well. Um you know just to in, in achieving things because for many years people can be stuck in that position just yeah. because of what they
1: believe about the other person having never done that. So yeah. And then yeah. The, time, the great that I've noticed that blocks people is dips in confidence. And mm-hmm. I find that playing through situations helps to build that confidence. There's a whole lot of things that are connected to that, your tone of voice, the body language that you use, that can just help to build that confidence to give enough of a push that you you, you keep going back and you keep trying different ways to convince that person or to get that project off the ground or whatever it is that you're trying to do differently.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Definitely, and I, I can um, relate to the dips in confidence, you know, during my career, and uh, yeah, I can see how. I mean, I do more of that now, quite naturally, in what I do, um, but I don't think it was something that I really used before. Yeah. I can see how that would have really helped. Um, so, yeah, that's a great one, a great piece of wisdom there shared around, uh, you know, understanding and having that empathy for for colleagues or your manager or whoever that may be. Yeah. And then enabling yourself, isn't it, rather than disabling yourself in
1: that situation? Exactly, and often it's about giving yourself permission to try a different way of thinking or a different way of approaching something. Because often people come to me when all the things that they've tried, which are you know great solutions, they just perhaps haven't worked.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. So, so Lisa, this is this is just great. I've really loved speaking to you. Um, uh, uh, I could carry on all day, but I'm just conscious that I promised that these are shorter podcasts. So um, yeah, let me just summarise a few of the things that you've mentioned here because I just think they're great. Um, obviously, like the the changing of career, the moving into setting up your own business. I thought that those three tips that you gave there, you know, 18 months in the preparation, turning up at every network event, um meeting different people, getting your name. Out there, really, secondly, understanding what you wanted to be known for. Yeah. And so you realize the things that you were passionate about within the workplace. Um, and then just starting to pitch and throw your name out there so people could hire you if they wanted to and working during your holidays. So, yeah, definitely some, oh some God, real work. work and
1: working during your holidays, but it was a means to an end for a yeah period of time well listen um according to uh
0: psychology magazine this month apparently about 40% of the british working population don't even take their holidays so at least you were taking them for something that was building the future um which is really uh, a a powerful thing and and then just on your wellness piece here that you know that i'm really interested in obviously that's the work that i do mostly and um, having that accountability with Gary, you know, getting out, having that morning routine, starting your day well, but actually starting your day the night before. So you do have that reflection on each day. I think that journaling that just writing it down, getting out of the head, yeah. know what you're going for, you know, we're now on a Monday, well, you know, what if you're going for on a Thursday or what is it that you really want to work for on a Friday, uh, Friday morning, you know, just starting, um, Uh, doing uh, that plan beforehand rather than just being uh, led by the day you and I use this term a lot architecting your own working day so you're not a victim of it
1: but you are the architect of it I love that that's absolutely (laughs) it and I'm a big one for writing lists and then physically ticking something off the list when it's been done and that does make you feel like you're in charge and you're the architect not the victim
0: yeah, that's so satisfying when you actually have um, a done list versus just always what you have to do. Yes. So yeah, for sure. And and I love the fact that, you know, there was that jump moment and Steve Jobs and what happened on that day. And, you know, you really kind of built from there. And as I said, here we are seven years on. Yeah. So well done you for sticking by your passion putting the work in and being here and uh before we go I just want to ask you what's your one thing that is absolutely your non-negotiable for your own
1: work for you? the one thing for me is my 10,000 steps and that comes back to that's so important I bought a book mm-hmm. to make sure that I did it. <laughs> it it's it means that I move it sets me up for the day I I struggle to manage my weight, so I need to definitely make sure that I prioritise moving. And also walking helps me think, helps me get my brain in order, helps me think about what I'm going to do during the day. So that 10,000 steps for me is the non-negotiable. And the days that that doesn't happen, which sometimes if I'm running training all day, I can't get the steps in. If the training room's small, I pace around, but I can't quite get it in. I make up for it the next day. I make sure that every week that I've done the accumulation of the 10,000 steps. That's the non-negotiable. Superb. Love it. So where can we find you, Lucy, if we want to learn more about your work? So you can find me on Twitter. I'm at Lucy Innovation and at Lucidity Says. You can check out my website, which is www.lucidity.org.uk. And of course, Gary has his own Instagram account, which is WFT. And you can check out our <laughs> 10,000 steps on there too.
0: Amazing. Okay, so I'll be including all these links in the, with the show notes. Um, by the way, Lucy does some great free stuff as well. She does some brilliant webinars so um, and and some great blogs on her website. So uh, I would definitely say sign up for some of those if you're interested in anything that she's mentioned. I've learned a lot by being a guest on those. And uh, yeah, so thank you so much um, for your insights today. I think it's really valuable and thank you guys for listening uh, i hope you have found this useful and relevant and Lucy's story inspiring please leave a comment and do share with someone that you think may benefit from this and uh, yeah let look forward to, uh, to to seeing how things develop with lucidity over the course of um, the future as well so thank you so much thank you so much
1: it's been a pleasure to chat with you thank you